Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. And we have a great show lined up for you tonight. Starting off with one of my very favorite topics, opening the primary in Oregon. In Oregon. Uh, when I was running for Secretary of State, this was something I hammered on people. And it was just so difficult to get anything through because um, Oregon, well, whenever you bring up opening the primaries, your two biggest opponents become the Democrats and the Republicans because the parties don't want to lose that power that they have over the people in the process. So they fight you. And then you get the unions and they fight you because the unions don't want to give up the power. And then even big business, some that they could get sucked into this thing and they fight you. But the bottom line is non-affiliated voters are now, for the first time in Oregon, the largest voting block in the state. Yeah, they were already kicked the ass of the Republicans, but now they've just skimmed over the top of the Democrats. So what that means is the two-party system's irrelevant. And so why are the rest of us, when we're the biggest voting block, paying for a primary that we don't get to participate in? That's called taxation without representation, and it's wrong. So we have to stop this. And so there's a group that's got an initiative out there, and uh, Mark Porter's with the group. He's going to be on here in just a few minutes to talk about that. And then if you are somebody who knows that, you know, if you're reading the, the tea leaves, <laughs> you know that a recession is probably on the way. Now, there are people out there in denial saying no. But is a recession a good time or a bad time to buy a business? Um, we're going to talk to Lonnie Woodruff over at uh, Transworld Business Advisors to get a little information on that. He did a little checking around and some homework and found out some information that we can talk about. Um, we're also going to talk about how he helps people buy businesses and sell businesses and kind of when you need to start that process, because a lot of people are now thinking, you know, maybe I want to do something different for a living instead of working for the man or the woman. And uh, so here's an opportunity to do something like that. Our sponsors tonight, Chris Daniel Family Dentistry. Every, we, we love having them on board. And guess what happened? When I went in here to do this, um, we, we had a little short, like somewhere in Montana, something happened weird. And so I'm going to do that. I'm going to see how I do the open here, see if I can do it differently, uh, because everything I wanted to have on here uh, disappeared except for my guests, which is really super important. But here's the open to the show. What's up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have... Hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun that you get to comment on the news? There's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun is because... We'll see you at five. And joining us tonight is Mark Porter. Hey, Mark, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Oh, it's good to have you. This is, I mean, you know, like if you're going to have a candy store, this is like my candy. I think uh -huh. this is, it's one of the dumbest things that Oregonians fail to pass every time because they truly don't understand what the opening the primary is. So you think that's me, the problem? They don't understand it? I think that's the big problem, honestly, is that it seems fair. Well, why should we be able to vote in the Republican and Democrats primary? Well, then let them pay for it. 
So if they don't, <laughs> listen, do you know what I mean? If, if they yeah. don't, want, if then they can they can fund it. Send out like the, and the other thing we shouldn't be paying for is those precinct elections. If I'm not in your party, why the hell am I paying for your precinct elections for your little secretaries and presidents of your little club that you have when I'm not in your club? And the, you're making our argument. Yeah, the elections clerks would love to have that off their t- ticket. When I ran for Secretary of State, they all said that is that should not be something that we're dealing with. That's not our business. So talk about your initiative, what it's called, and what yours would do. So we, uh, I'm, I'm part of the group of op- uh, Oregon Open Primaries, and we spent some time putting together uh, a statutory initiative that we were hoping to push. Um, which would address the whole uh, primary system. Uh, we were looking at models like Maine and Alaska, which have top four. Um, Washington and California have similar situation, similar uh, primary or um, mechanisms. Uh, Washington, I believe, is the top two. Um, and and I'm from New Hampshire, which has uh, a partially open primary where people can walk in on the day of the primary. And if they're not associated with a party, they can pick up the ballot from either party and vote it. And so we were working on this. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big task to take on the statutory initiative to get the whole, um, the whole mechanism organized and, and have everyone buy in. We were hoping to get a lot of groups with us. Um, so we scaled back a bit and we went with what we think is just the fundamental fairness issue about primary elections, which is that they're publicly funded elections that deny access to 40% of the state. Yeah. So and how would this work? This would change the statute then? It would, this, is a, this is a constitutional amendment, um, which is a little more of a hurdle for us in terms of signature gathering. Um, but it's very simple. It, it comprises maybe, maybe 150 words. And it just states that in all publicly funded elections for state and federal office, the state shall only select candidates for the general election by conducting an open primary election in which all qualified candidates and electors may participate regardless of political party affiliation or non-affiliation. That's the whole thing. It just says that you can't, if if it's a publicly funded election, you can't be denied the chance to vote based upon your non-affiliation with a party. So what would that do to the, that would basically then it opens it up. It would open that prime. Yes. Under it would it would push the issue to the state to come up with a mechanism to implement this, but this would require that they not deny voters the chance to participate in publicly funded elections. See, and I always thought that, okay, so if they don't want to do that, then why don't we create a way that, okay, then then you guys start paying for your elections then. I mean, your primary. Uh, well, I'll, I'll fund publicly. Everybody can fund the general because we can all participate in the general. But in the primary, then um, if if you want that to be an election, then you you come up with the paperwork. You come up with the voting mechanism. It, it's it's yours. And get it out of our elections departments. We we think it would be fine or great even if, if parties held their own nomination processes or, or uh, elect, closed elections and then chose a candidate to endorse in the primary or the general election. But I agree that those should be privately funded and they, and they, and they should, in order to be closed. So or what, publicly funded, I'm sorry, to be closed, it should be private, uh, privately funded. What do you think the impact's gonna be this year of uh, Senator Bessie Johnson 
running, non-affiliated. So I think, Mark, one of the things I kind of see with this is it's starting to educate people because I, I, people are totally confused. What, she's an independent? No, she's not an independent. She's a non-affiliated voter. She's running. Yeah. Uh, she's And she can't. And then people, well, how does she get on the ballot? Well, she has to get all these signatures in order to get on. So they're starting to see, wait a minute. And she has the most money. So now she can fight these people. And yep. she's kind of, kind of, um, it's not her attempt, but she's really bringing this issue and the inequities to this thing to the forefront. Because here's a person, usually it's some candidate who has, you know, $20 that can't do anything. Now you've got <laughs> the most powerful candidate in the state with the most money, and she can't run in the primary because the two parties own it. And that's right. just bullshit. It I mean, is. It's, it's crazy. Well, so it, I, what do you, yeah, it's just unfair. Where do you so where do you go from here? The initiative are you getting signatures? You're gathering how many do you need? What do you, where's the process? An initiative is a two-stage signature gathering process. The first stage is sponsorship signatures, and that's you only need a thousand. That then makes it sort of an official initiative for the attorney general to provide a a ballot title. Um, at first, they draft they they issue a draft ballot title. Um, and that was was issued last week. Um, we weren't too happy with the way they characterized the initiative in that in that draft title. So we filed comments to it along with several other people. And the attorney general revised the draft title into a certified ballot title that is, um, I think, much, much less partisan, much more fair and and better characterizes our initiative. So who didn't like the first one? Was that the Secretary of State's office? No, they didn't uh, comment, but we got comments from a group called Our Oregon, which represents the, uh, um, the, uh, um, the, the public employee union. Oh, um, wait. Oh, so the public employees unions weren't happy with the initiative that was going to open the primaries do you guys see what i'm talking about you always yes. look at who's against it and then you know what's going on and that's yeah. our they call themselves our oregon perhaps yeah. their oregon not really our oregon. <laughs> oh my gosh mark that's yeah. crazy yeah make sure you um, follow the single subject rules they will screw you up on that purpose yeah john parker's right um, yes, we we passed. Uh, I think we passed that hurdle. Ours ours is it's so short and simple and to the point that um, I don't. It's not an issue about the single subject. So yeah, Tim Tim says, "What a surprise! Our <laughs> Oregon is really public employees' yeah. unions." I mean, yeah. how important is it, Mark, that people in Oregon start understanding who? You know, you can say you, this is who you are, but you've got to, you really have to do your homework to find out who these, who, who's behind this, because it's, it all sounds so good until yes. you get to the, the details. The devil's yes. always in the details. And it's difficult for most of us, even those who are, are engaged, to find out who really is, is sponsoring some of these initiatives and who is opposing them. So how many signatures do you need? So to go forward and get on the ballot, we need 150,000 uh, certified signatures, verified signatures. So you need a couple hundred thousand to, to get them because they'll wean out, they'll throw them out for, oh, they didn't dot the I or um, yes. Rick Dancer doesn't live here anymore. How come 400 people put his name down and, you know, <laughs> kind of stuff. Do you, do, when would it, is the earliest you think you'd get this on a, on a, in an election? 
So we have to, we have to, in order to get on the 2022 ballot, we would need to get these signatures to the Secretary of State by June 8th. Is that, um, that going to be possible, do you think? It's, it's a heavy lift because we're still, after the Attorney General issued the certified title, there's a 10-day appeal period in which people can still appeal to the Supreme Court what the certified title states. Um, we're not going to appeal it. We think we're okay with the certified title as is. So, Mark, what have you learned about Oregon's initiative process? Um, it's, for one, during the pandemic, during during COVID, it's, it's much tougher because there are smaller groups to go out to. There's a much less opportunity to gather people live for so that you can gather signatures. And there's been no relief by the state on getting electronic signatures. Um, we can send out electronic sheets, but they're one-offs. People have to print the sheet, sign their name, sign that they printed it themselves, um, attesting that no one gave it to them, and then mail it to us. Uh, and that's a that's a onerous process. Right. What I've noticed, and pre-COVID even, as a former news guy here, um, yeah. it seems to me that whatever party's in control, they're making it harder and harder to get an initiative petitions were supposed to be a stat. They were established in Oregon for the purpose yes. of when the legislature didn't do anything and weren't, do, weren't listening to the people and coming up with laws that we're talking about, then we could do it ourselves, which is what you're doing, but they make it yes. the lawmaker. They don't like that. So they make it harder and harder, more difficult and more difficult to even do. And so they just string you by the, you know what, and, and hang there. And then reread everything you do and try look for reasons to get rid of signatures. That's not the way the initiative process was designed to do. It's supposed to be something for the people to do when the lawmakers aren't putting their laws forward. Yes. So um, he said you think the, I'm curious, uh, since you ran for secretary of state, do you think that position should be nonpartisan? Oh, God, yeah. That, okay. Oh my God. I love you, Mark. <laughs> one of my running positions was this. That's one of my main things that I said is this should be a nonpartisan position because the secretary of state is supposed to be the watchdog for the government and the people. Yeah. I mean, the people, not the government. So you didn't work for a party. You were supposed to work to make the, the, the way it reads. If our, our lawmakers would look at it is you're supposed to be the watchdog to make sure if an initiative is passed or something happens, you fight so that people get their voice in government. That is nothing like what it is. When I, as I, after I ran for a few you know months, I started realizing this is a big sham. These people are just, they're just in here trying to get to be governor. That's the only thing they're doing. So, yeah, it, it needs to be Oregon Secretary of State needs to be a nonpartisan position. And that person needs to understand that they work for all Oregonians. You know what I mean? But the, the same yes. with the governor should be, I think. But but you came. So you came from New Hampshire. How how much easier is it to do or harder to do initiative there? Do you know? Uh, I don't know the initiative process in New Hampshire and, and there may not be one. I don't ever recall seeing one on the ballot. I, I lived there until I was about mid 20s. Okay. I've been in Oregon 30 years now. So but, Mark, um, people are asking like crazy, where do we go to sign this thing when it's up? Is it, is, is it, when will it be up and ready to sign? Well, um, uh, May 4th will be the end of the appeal period. And then the secretary of state will issue us a, um, a, a voter signature template. And then we can put, we can post that. 
And that'll be available for people to download and sign and send to us at our website on OregonOpenPrimaries.org. It's all one word, OregonOpenPrimaries.org. Primaries? Primaries, yes. I-E-S. Dot org. Okay, you guys, this is where you go. Mark, you're awesome. This is the greatest thing. I love this topic so much. Yes. Um, so that's where you go. Um, and then not now, but after May 4th. So keep looking at that. And then, um, Mark, when you get to that point, um, we might want to just have you on for a quick refresher just to get the word out that it's ready. And I could even do just a little short thing with you and then throw it out there to tell people that it's on, okay? That'd be, that'd be great. I'd appreciate okay. it. So get in touch with me and do that. How many people do you, are, will you be out canvassing at all, like in, in malls and or is that, is this going to be mostly online? No, we, we were out canvassing for the sponsorship signatures. Um, in order to collect that many signatures, we're going to need to have paid signature gatherers. Yeah. And so that's one of our steps now is to line up some financing, um, talk to the signature gatherers, see what we need in terms of, of, of money and, um, and see what it's going to take to get that ball rolling. You know, the other thing I would recommend you do, you should get a hold of Betsy Johnson's staff. Because it seems to me like this is a perfect year for her to be talking about that same thing while you're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. If you email me and need numbers, I'm really close to Betsy and um, and her staff, and I can get that for you. And just okay. get you connected. Um, I don't know how she'd feel about that, but I have a feeling she'd be pretty supportive of it. So it's, it's just an idea that we yeah. offer publicly. So if she doesn't, everybody will know. <laughs> That's not why I'm doing it. But hey, this is like real life. You know, this is how things work in Connections yeah. made. Mark, thanks for having the guts to do this and, and to your people. And um, if I was still an Oregonian, I would sign it only once because that's the way it's legal. <laughs> but I would yes. be, and I still can be your biggest cheerleader. I'll scream at a scream from the mountaintops about this one. This is this great. Thank change. you. I will tell everyone in my audience changing that, opening that primary could change everything for Oregon. I really yeah. believe that with all my heart. And I think we're going to see a trial run of that up in Alaska this year um they passed open primaries with top four um uh primary winners going to the general just last election it was a it was a citizen initiative and they're going to be putting it in place implementing it the first time this election cycle well it'd be and great to watch yeah it's, it's going to happen for the first time with the congressional race to replace um the congressman who passed away um and so that's going to happen in a, in a month or two Okay, well, we'll be watching that. Mark yeah. Porter, thank you so thank much. Thank you. Open Oregon's primary. Love having you. All right, you guys. So there, that's you know that's something you can do. Um, and so kind of keep watching that website where you're going. Now, hang on, you guys. I want you to hang with me because I've got this video I have to play. But what happened? I get to play. But what happened was when I, right before we went on, I lost my signal. Um, and no, that's not a medical problem. Um, there we go. So I'm going to pull up um, one of our sponsors. This is another sponsor for the evening. Here we go. Now we have 15 homes. Uh, we have 60 individuals uh, that are living in those homes. And then in addition to that, we have uh, a number of individuals who are part of what we call our supported living uh, program group. And those are people who do not live in a group home but live in, in an independent setting and we support them as well. And we have about another 25 or 30 people that we support that way. So your tagline is endless possibilities. What, what does that mean? 
That, that means literally people should take that at face value is it our goal is for every person that we serve is that they get to live and enjoy the fullest, most complete life that is possible. Having a job or it's learning a skill or it's, you know, painting or it's horseback riding. It is it is to it is to look at people from a perspective of what is possible rather than through the eyes of limitation. And what they do at Albert Taylor is magic, um, helping people with different abilities in our community to live the life they want to live, not a normal life. Good gosh, who wants a normal life? I don't want a normal life. They want to live their life, the life that they pick. And so if you're looking for a job and you're kind of tired of your career because you go home every night and think, what am I really doing with my life? Um, Albert Taylor is always looking for good people who um, want to go home at the end of the day and go, yeah, that was a hard day but I made someone's life interesting today. Um, they're your person. Now, if you're somebody who's just tired of working for a corporation and a business and they don't listen to you and they don't respect you and you have this crazy idea that you want to start your own business. Yeah, I did that. Um, best decision I ever made, hardest decision I ever made. But one of the things that made it hard is I didn't know Lonnie. <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea what I was doing. And Lonnie is a business advisor for Transworld Business Advising. And he not only helps people kind of sit down and dream, which I could have done. And there's probably some pitfalls you could have kept me from, you know, some, some skin knees and um, lost money that you probably could have uh, warned me about and got me out of um, trouble. But um, thank you for joining us and being one of our sponsors. We really appreciate your sponsorship and uh, your information because uh, you're getting you're getting people really interested. They're calling you from this. Lots of engagement. Yeah. And I love the show and everything that you do, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, starting your own business is hard. It's um, a little easier to buy one that's already existing, that already has employees and customers. And uh, yeah. And that's what I help with. I sell existing businesses and there's tons of resources for both, whether you want to start a business or buy a business. Uh, there's there's actually more help than you know, but it's all kind of behind the scenes. Right. And you go in like if somebody like myself came in and I'd say, I, I want to start this media company, you might look around and say, hey, you know, over in Bend or somewhere they have a company, but Rick, maybe the media part isn't what you want. Maybe you want this public relations part. You could help, you know, of businesses out there that are for sale and you could then help me kind of steer my alleged dream maybe in the right direction or a better direction that you know by, by what you know uh yeah absolutely and maybe there's opportunities out there you haven't even thought of maybe you're just tired of working for a big corporation and you don't know what's out there i hope you find something that might be a good fit like you maybe ne never thought about running a laundromat or or a granite business or something like that but then you're like oh well, well let's take a look at that then through a few conversations, uh, you find something that's a good fit. So is that how you got into doing what you're doing is because you retired a corporate life? Yeah, a long story on that. But uh, business and the in the Fortune 500 world is probably not what it was 30 years ago. And uh, and yeah, I got really tired of it, even though I was good at it. Uh, I worked for the big food companies. But yeah, it's uh, now I help people make their dreams come true. And I uh, like to steal the talent from those corporate worlds, because if I knew if I knew if I know if I knew now what I knew back then, it'd probably be a different picture. So I go uh, try to connect those dots.
And it, it really is like for you, it's like relationship too. You sit down over a cup of coffee and you're trying to figure out what the, what that person on the other side of that coffee um, is what, what makes them tick. And that's what you're, that's what you, I mean, you you have all the training, you have the knowledge, but that's really where you're good at it. I mean, I'm very relationship oriented. I have, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I guess I'm the turtle of the turtle and the hare uh, parable, but uh, I'm very, very methodical. I explain things thoroughly and uh, research resources and discuss options. And uh, sometimes it's a little long winded, but uh, all my clients uh, appreciate it because they, they, they know every step. So talk to me about, we see everything I see online is, you know, asking the question, are we going into a recession? It seems to me like we are getting off the close to a recession. Is that a good time to buy or sell a business? Uh, uh, either or. I mean, many of these businesses have already seen the recession. So a lot of these businesses have been around for a lot longer than the previous recession. So they survived the last recession. So there's probably some things you want to watch out for, you know, uh, consider the industry, who the customers are of that business. Uh, I mean, if that business is mainly banging up siding on new construction and uh, it's a newer business, then maybe that's just something you want to ask the right question. What questions if that business can pivot to something else. But a lot of these businesses, they just they're, they're recession proof, definitely more recession proof than some jobs, because let's not consider that, you know, you're not safe in a job especially if you're a high wage earner in a business and there's two or three people in your team that make two thirds the pay you do. And, you know, and you, you might get the pink slip. But someone like, you know, like me or someone who had a business, they could come to you and go, Lonnie, I'm, I'm thinking about selling now. And then you can sit down with me and say, well, let's look at is right now a time when media companies are going to do this or do that or what, and kind of ask the right questions so I can, because don't small business people like because we're so dang independent, I <laughs> think that we we sometimes think that we know what we're doing um, when it's to bounce it off somebody like a business advisor. That's you're getting somebody that can go, wait a minute, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because uh, if there is a recession, um, there's going to be people that have to buy a business because they'll lose their job in the corporate world. And. They got kids in school. So they're like, ah, what do I do? Like you need an income stream, right? You got your bills don't stop because you lose your job. So it's, it's, it's a good time to talk all the time. So would this be, I would think right now, while we're still heading that way, um, would be a great time for someone who's in a, maybe in a job that could be the first one to go that maybe it's a good time for them to sit down with you and say, okay, I need to start planning now before the news starts talking about we're in a recession. I need to start talking to you now to get some options. So I'm ahead of the game before there's 400 people in that line. If you, you know what I mean? So they sit down with you ahead of time and talk about this and go, I feel like my job isn't very solvent. And um, I may need to be looking at something. I would think that'd be a good time to talk with you right now. Are you there, Lonnie? Oh no, did I lose you? Huh. I'm going to do something. I'm going to pull you out and then I'm going to try to bring you back in. Hey, Lonnie. Yeah. Try to get back on Lonnie. Um, just go re-sign in and it may pop you back in here like that. I'm going to take this one out. Um, kick you from the studio. And then if you come back in, um, Kevin, I'm going to address your question right now. We don't want an open primary. I don't want Democrats picking the conservative candidate. That's, that's, that's not how that's going to work. And that's what, that's what ends up. 
Here's the thing, Kevin. If we keep doing the same thing over and over and expect a different result, that's insanity. And it's not going to change. That's you have if everybody's open the primary you're and here's the here's the whole thing kevin the republicans are already kind of voiceless anyway right now and if you keep down that track and the democrats are losing their voice because the non-affiliates are taken over so you're gonna have to work with everybody but i think your argument is wrong and i don't agree with you on that at all okay lonnie are you back i'm back was that my internet connection or yours that was you. I think it was you. I don't know, but you disappeared. Bummer. But you did the right thing. You you got in there. So yeah. how do how do people get a hold of you? They're, they're, see, they're saying hi, Lonnie Woodruff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, email, phone number. If you want to uh, post my contact information in there, okay, love give to it have to conversations, me. and um, I I post good information on uh, all the social media sites as well. Follow me on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, Transworld does lots of podcasts. There's tons of information out there. There's there's actually many resources uh, that you got the SBA uh, for funding, get the Small Business Development Center here in Eugene, which is great. Um, they'll help you through all aspects. Uh, Ronnie, what's your phone number? 541-920-9026. Uh, people didn't have to hear it. So you say it, I put it up there. <laughs> you guys, that's who you call. That's you get a hold of them. And, and what's your email? Lonnie at lwoodruff at tworld.com. Yeah, email me. I'm uh, putting together kind of like an information resource pamphlet I'll be sending out. So if you want to email me, I can email that pamphlet to everybody and I'll have a bunch of links, resources, options. Uh, just, just knowing that there's options uh, going into recession is sometimes comforting as well. Yeah. So there's his information, you guys. Get on his mailing list, um, and then that way, if something comes up, and Lonnie is, and you're sending out some great information on Facebook. So the other thing you should do, guys, is join, go like his Facebook page because I get yours all the time, and it makes me think. Um, and some of them are just like real thoughtful things for the day, which I really appreciate. But other ones are like things that really do help you with your business stuff. Lonnie, yeah, thanks, absolutely. thanks for being here. Thank you, Rick. Always a all pleasure. Right. All right, we'll talk to you next month. All right. All right, Lonnie Woodruff. Um, yeah, that's that's who you need to be talking with. Well, you guys are really hot on this um, primary thing, aren't you? We should be allowed to vote for whomever we agree and no matter what party they are. It's no one's choice to force votes. <laughs> Jackie, you're preaching to the choir, girl. I like that. So let's find out what um, our little friend Bill London has to do today. He was uh, stirring up some trouble, uh, as usual. And good evening from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, also known as the Salt and Pepper Clearcut. All right, here's a look at some of the stories we're following. Well, I told you yesterday that this would be coming today, and that is the Oregon Court of Appeals erased a $1.1 billion verdict against the state over its management of state forests, determining the Department of Forestry and its policy setting board are not obligated to maximize timber harvests and associated payments to counties. The court's decision turned on its finding that specific language in the Forest Acquisition Act of 1941 
really didn't constitute a contract between the state and the counties that are home to the state's forests. The decision overturns a 2019 verdict by Lynn County jurors who concluded that the state did breach its contract on harvest revenues for two decades. Now, again, it was Lynn County that originally brought this suit. Roger Nyquist, the chair of Lynn County's Board of Commissioners, said the decision will be appealed by the counties to the Oregon Supreme Court. In an email just a little bit ago to KPNW, I reached out to Commissioner Nyquist, he sent this to us and he said, we're disappointed by the Court of Appeals decision. Today's decision doesn't resolve the problems caused by mismanaging state forest lands that face rural communities. These communities face continued economic challenges. They will live with deadly wildfires due to the state's refusal to live up to its agreement to manage state forest lands with a concept of greatest permanent value to counties. We knew from day one this would ultimately be headed to the Supreme Court. We have no option at this point other than a appeal the decision. And while we believe the law and the facts are on our side, the politics at the state level are not. The wildfires in September of 2020 that caused death and destruction have changed the public's attitude about forest practices. We hope that same change in attitude will take place with Oregon's political class. All right, former LC school superintendent Mark Thielman, who crusaded against wearing masks in schools and mask wearing rules during the pandemic, won the Republican Dorchester gubernatorial straw poll that was taken of a couple of hundred of Republicans. He easily bested several of the race's more well-funded front runners, including Sandy Mayor Stan Pulliam, political consultant Bridget Barton, and former House Minority Leader Christine Drazen. I always love, if you've seen the ads for Christine or for uh, Bridget Barton, she claims that she's an outsider. She's not beholden to anyone. She has been a Republican consultant for decades. She's not an outsider. Sorry. So eh, we're going to follow up on a story that we've reported on a couple of times, and that has to do with Kyle Hedquist who back in 1994 in Douglas County led a teenage girl down a remote logging road, shot her in the back of the head execution style because he thought she might tell police about burglaries he'd committed. And then he threw her along the side of the road and drove off. Well, if you watch this show on any basis, you know that Oregon Governor Kate Brown granted clemency to Headquist a 45-year-old who was serving a life sentence without parole after being convicted of murdering Nikki Thrasher, the teenage girl. And Brown's act is unleashing a storm of criticism from prosecutors and law enforcement around the state. Douglas County Sheriff John Hanlon chimed in Tuesday afternoon saying, the executive clemency granted by Governor Brown in this case is shocking and irresponsible. Hedquist was convicted in Douglas County Circuit Court in 1995. Well, also yesterday, Governor Brown defended her clemencies, and she compared them to President Joe Biden's granting of clemency Tuesday to 75 people. All right, okay, that sounds like an argument, kind of. But what the governor cleverly didn't mention is that every single one 
of Biden's clemencies were non-violent offenders. Or to be really blunt about it, none of them took a teenage girl out into the woods, shot them in the back of the head, and then threw them in a drainage ditch. They, they didn't do that. They were nonviolent drug offenders. There's a little bit of a difference there, which maybe is too subtle for Governor Brown. But what is even more hilarious about her comparison is she doubled down. She said, teenagers, even those who've committed terrible crimes, have a unique capacity for growth and change. She said that in social media posts, and then she applauded Biden's action, adding, we are a state and nation of second chances. Now, again, the teenagers she's referring to were mostly people that committed murders and rapes, and in a number of cases, raped and then murdered their victims. Of Biden's clemencies, the 75 were nonviolent drug offenses. Maybe Governor Brown needs to learn about compare, contrast, significant juxtaposition, something like that. Just saying, not being critical. Far be it for me to do that. Okay, and since we're talking about crime, um, the Portland City Club hosted a debate a few nights ago, and it was between the two Democratic candidates who were leading in the primaries because the mainstream media is ignoring any of the other 15 Democrats that are running. And they were asked about how they felt about gun violence and guns. And we're talking about, of course, Tina Kotek, former House Speaker and current State Treasurer Tobias Reed, both Democrats. The responses were interesting, and I'm going to read quotes from both of them. Kotek said, I know a lot of Portlanders don't feel safe, and I've lived in some pretty large cities, and in terms of personal safety, I think we all have to be cautious. In every city in the country right now, as we come out of the pandemic, there's a lot of violence, and frankly, too many guns on the street. When I was speaker, I did what I could to make sure we were keeping guns out of the hands of folks who shouldn't have them increasing our background checks, making sure that individuals who were domestic abusers couldn't have access to guns, passing a safe storage law that said if you own a gun, you have to store it safely so it can't get stolen or have an accidental death. Those are good, but they're not good enough. We need to ban and figure out how to get ghost guns off the streets. We have to make sure that when violence in the community happens, that's where intervention and prevention stop the cycle of violence. Tobias Reed said, quote, we need to ban ghost guns. We need a ban on high capacity magazines as methods of reducing the risk of mass shootings. We need a statewide gun buyback program to help safely remove guns from circulation. And we need more resources to law enforcement. That's gonna look different in different communities. It's certainly going to include accountability measures. He further went on to say that they wanted resources to respond, particularly to gun crime and to illegal gun dealers. But if you notice, both of them brought up ghost guns. And that argument is a red herring. Most of the guns that are being used in the commission of these crimes, particularly in Portland, are not ghost guns. Most of those guns, ghost guns, are hand-assembled and their AR frames, 
rifles, the ones that are mislabeled as assault rifles. The majority of the crimes that are happening on Portland streets right now, those people are getting shot with handguns. Now, if the ghost guns were actually a problem, you would hear the media breathlessly reporting about the shootings involving untraceable assault rifles. But you aren't. And the reason you aren't is because it's not happening. When you see those pictures of shell casings on the street that the police will say, we found over 110 shell casings, look at the photographs. Those are handgun casings. If there were ghost guns, those specific crimes using those ghost guns and those rifles, which at a minimum would be 5.56 or 223s, they would be held up as examples and the anti-gun advocates would be on every single TV channel, on every cable news show, and splattered across the front pages of the newspapers across the country. Ghost guns, it's a red herring completely. All right, Rick, roll it out. Get real. I think you did it for me. <laughs> so what this tells, I, I love how Bill just calls people out like that, because that's the truth. You got to watch what people are saying and not just what comes out of their mouth, but what, how their actions are. And I think we have a great opportunity in the state or you do in your state and in this country um, to, to get get things back for people and for, for you know, enough of the bullshit. And it's time to get on with doing the business of getting the, the truly doing something about homelessness in our cities, truly doing something about violence. You know, the governor and all these people want to control guns more. And yet you're letting criminals out who kill people. And that's the other thing I wanted to say is she talks about second chances. We want to wear a state of check second chances. Where's the second chance of the dead girl and the victims in these crimes? When you shot and killed her, where's her second chance? Huh? We only give the killer. He gets a second chance for what he did. I don't buy it. Share this on your page. Let other people know. Um, offer your opinions. Come on here and say what you're thinking. Uh, we'd love to hear from you because everybody on here will still hear it after long after it's gone. And most people watch this after the show is not live. So put your comments on there so other people can see it. Um, yeah, only the criminals get the second chance. That's right, Jackie. And that is wrong. That's not Oregon. Um, so anyway, tomorrow night we have a special show. Tomorrow is um, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And I found a woman from Polson, Montana, who was uh, in Germany, and she's going to tell her experiences. It's a charming, interesting, and especially what's going on in, the, in Ukraine right now. It's a really interesting conversation. So tune in for that tomorrow night, 5 o'clock Oregon time, 6 o'clock Montana time. All right. And we won't be here on Monday. Um, I'll be in Oregon, but we, I got some stuff I'm doing, so we'll be back on Tuesday next week. Have a good night, and I will talk with you soon. Thanks for watching.